Hey, it's Barbara Phillips with NPBO, and I wanted to give you a heads up on a webinar that we have coming up Thursday, May 16th, and it will be with a certified healthcare privacy person who has been in charge of a very large healthcare organization and their privacy compliance, HIPAA, and all of that sort of thing. And I think it's very important that all clinicians attend this one because HIPAA affects all of us. And so you can get more information about that at npbusiness.org forward slash privacy matters. And just another quick heads up after that, in June, we'll be talking with someone who has been in charge of the IT compliance to protect the organization. And so this one will be geared toward how do you protect yourself as well as your practice. And I'll be sharing more information about that later. So let's move on with the podcast. This is the NP Business Matters podcast, episode number 38, Common Mistakes When Starting a Practice. And welcome to the NP Business Matters podcast. I'm your host, Barbara C. Phillips, founder of Nurse Practitioner Business Owner and Clinician Business Institute. And since 2007, we've been providing education, resources, and support about the business of being a nurse practitioner. You can learn more by visiting npbusiness.com and clinicianbusinessinstitute.com. Now today, I'm going to be talking about mistakes that I've seen nurse practitioners make when starting a business. I get so many questions where so many people have put the cart before the horse, or they've run into other problems when getting started or even operating their business. And I think it's really important to learn from the mistakes of others so that you don't repeat them. So that's what I'm going to be talking about today, mistakes that I've seen NPs make when starting a practice. So let's go ahead and get started. So many of us are so excited at the aspect of having our own practice, and it's even more so today than ever before, especially since so many states are now opening up to full practice authority. And even in states that have a lot of restrictions, I see more and more nurse practitioners going ahead, wanting to start in their own practices, and very excited about that opportunity. However, what tends to happen sometimes is that in our excitement, we tend to rush into things. And this is where we run into trouble. So on today's podcast, I'd like to go over some of the most common mistakes that I see nurse practitioners, in fact, all clinicians making when starting up their own practice. So one of the first mistakes that I see is not one that everybody is going to agree with me on. However, in my opinion, it's a pretty serious mistake. And I'm talking about the nurse practitioner who is not yet a seasoned clinician. We're talking about the new graduate. I often hear from very enthusiastic new grads who are excited about the aspect of owning their own business and having their own practice. I tend to also hear from nurse practitioners who maybe they've been out of school for a year, 
maybe a little more, maybe a little less, but they haven't been able to find that first NP job. And oftentimes they feel that the answer here is going ahead and starting their own practice. But here's the problem. None of these NPs are seasoned nurse practitioners. Well, we learn so much in school and perhaps bring with us years and years of RN experience, it is not the same thing. There are so many new skills and even the process of thinking and decision-making is different from being an RN to being a nurse practitioner. Since most nurse practitioners, when they're starting a business or a practice, they tend to be the only clinician in that practice, or perhaps they have one other practitioner in there, often someone who's just as new as they are, and they run the risk of finding themselves in over their head. Just like saying that we need to develop our sea legs when we first get on a boat, it's the same thing for any new clinician. You need to develop strong clinical skills, critical thinking skills, decision-making skills, as well as that clinical confidence to know what you're doing is the right thing and when you're in over your head. And I believe it's important for any new clinician to have that time working around others and developing all those skills, as well as establishing a network of general and specialty clinicians that that they can call on. In fact, we all call on our colleagues because nobody practices in isolation. This is a team sport and we all know it. Now, are there exceptions to this? Well, absolutely, there are exceptions to this, but they're not very common For example, I once worked with a new graduate psychiatric nurse practitioner. Now, what was different about her is that this woman also was a licensed therapist and had been in her own therapy practice for 10 years. So her knowledge for so much of this was already in place. Her knowledge about the business and the kind of practice that she had was already there. In fact, it was already well established. So what she did in order to help bridge that knowledge between being a therapist and now a psychiatric nurse practitioner was to hire a seasoned psychiatric nurse practitioner who functioned as her mentor as someone she could call on whenever she had questions about medications or anything else that was beyond her scope as a therapist. Now, the second example is a new graduate nurse practitioner couple. Now, they came to me when they were already seasoned business owners in another medically related non-clinical business. And, And like the first example I gave you, they already had business skills. They already had successful businesses. What this couple did is because they also had the resources, when they opened up their clinic, they brought in two full-time family nurse practitioners who could function as clinical mentors to them. So when they started their practice, they started out with four clinicians, two that were seasoned and two that were new grads so that they could get their clinician legs seasoned.
So in both these examples, the nurse practitioners set themselves up not for failure, but for success. They recognize both their limitations as well as their strengths, and they set themselves up for success. One of the concerns that I often have is when someone has started their practice and they haven't done the research that should have been done before ever starting the business. Let's talk about those mistakes. So one of them is the what and why. And in my view, one of the first things that you really want to figure out is what is it that you do? What service do you provide? How will you look What does that whole vision look like? And what is the goal of your practice? What about your family? This is something I talked about in the very first episode of the NP Business Matters podcast, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But when you don't know what it is that you're doing, and when you don't know your whys, it's a huge mistake. For instance, recently we were just talking about a provider that a family member wanted to go to, actually wants to go to. And when looking at all the different things that she does, our heads were spinning. We didn't know what she was really doing, what she was good at. She just listed a laundry list of different things that she does in her practice, none of them at all related. And so you do not want to confuse your patients, your customers like that. And I've seen this being done by too many nurse practitioners. Decide what it is that you're doing and start there. You don't need to overwhelm people with a variety of, of different services that may be unrelated. You also want to make sure that in our practices, we are practicing evidence-based healthcare, patient-centered healthcare. One of the biggest tenets in marketing is a confused mind says no, and your customers will say no if they're confused. Another area where the research isn't done thoroughly enough and gets people into trouble is not understanding the rules and regulations for starting a practice or even for what you can do in your state, what your scope of practice is for your particular location. Now, in general, boards of nursing will not dictate anything about you owning your own practice. In fact, I often hear from nurse practitioners who have called their board to find out about starting a practice, and we're told that they don't know anything about that, or sometimes they're given erroneous information. We need to remember that the role of the board of nursing is to protect the healthcare consumer from you and I from the nurses. And so that is not the place to get business information. That is the place to get information about your scope of practice. So where do you get the information about the business rules and regulations in your state? This is often from your secretary of state. And in fact, if you go to your state secretary of state's website, you'll often find a lot of information about starting your own practice there. 
You want to pay attention to the type of structure you're required to have in your state, and you want to look for something called the corporate practice of medicine. It's not present in all states, but if it is in yours, it can do things such as dictate the naming of your state and the kind of structure. So for example, in California, if you want to own a medical practice, it will tell you that you can't do that or that you can only own a medical practice and own 49% of it. It has to be owned 51% by a physician. If you want to own a nursing corporation, you can do so at 100% and the naming of that has to include nurse or nursing. So you'll find those rules in all states that have the corporate practice of medicine. Business laws may also dictate the kind of structure that you have to have. So in some states, for instance, you can have a practice that is established as an LLC. In other states, because you are a professional, it'll have to be a PLLC. And in other states, it might have to be a PC. It will also tell you who you can establish that business with. In some states, you cannot own that business with an unlicensed person, and it has to be somebody of the same licensure if you're going to own that business jointly. So those are different things that you will need to explore. Now, a CPA who is experienced in business startup and healthcare should be able to guide you on this as well. Nurse practitioners can open businesses in 49 of the 50 states and all of the U.S. territories, to my knowledge. The exception here is Michigan. In podcast episode number 36, I spoke with Denise Hershey, who is president of the Michigan Council of Nurse Practitioners, and we discussed what was going on in Michigan and what needs to be done to rectify those issues. So I'll link to that episode in the show notes. So what about scope of practice? Some of the confusion that I see these days is around scope of practice and what NPs want to do. As I said earlier, I often see nurse practitioners in groups ask the question, can I do XYZ in my state? And I cannot stress enough that it is so crucial that you understand your scope and your state rules and regulations for your state. Scope of practice issues should always be directed to your Board of Nursing and your NP State Association. If you want to do something that isn't yet written out or if there's something a little bit different, you want to get that clarified in writing from your board stating that you are indeed practicing within your scope. There are so many different things that are non-traditional these days for nurse practitioners. We've been educated on it. We may have the appropriate documentation that we can safely perform this, that, or the other. So you want to make sure that you keep track of that. As healthcare grows and changes, I'm seeing so many people stepping out from the traditional nurse practitioner role that it is really important you protect yourself. I want to take a moment here to talk about full practice authority because there's a lot of confusion about that and practicing across state lines. With the explosion of telehealth, many nurse practitioners 
are asking the questions about practicing telehealth in full practice authority states, especially if they're in a restricted state. And there's a lot of confusion and I see a lot of misinformation out there. You are required to be licensed and follow the rules and regulations in the state in which you are located and the state in which your patient is located. So often that means if you're in a restricted state and you require collaboration, you need to have collaboration even if your patient is in a full practice authority state. While some of these rules about practicing across state lines were relaxed for physicians, particularly during the pandemic, we still require licenses in every state our patients are going to be located in. This comes up a lot. I've clarified this with um, uh, folks at AANP, particularly those involved with the state regulatory um, policies that are done. You can also find more about this, about different healthcare policies for different state at the Center of Healthcare Policy. And I will link to that also in our show notes. Another thing that we all need to keep in mind is that full practice authority is not equal in all of the states that have full practice authority. Plus, what I often see is happening is people are stating that they have full practice authority for states that don't quite meet the definition of full practice authority. So the definition of full practice authority, according to the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, is that you were able to practice to the full extent of of your education without physician involvement in your practice. So if you're in a state that requires you to have perhaps a, a one-time attestation, then it's not a full practice state because you still have physician involvement in your practice. So I, I think it's really important. And right now I'm seeing a lot of people talk about California having full practice authority with a rule that was recently passed there. And that's not true because you still need to have physicians sign off on your protocols. It's really important to be clear about the status in your own state as um, as well as the status in which you will be seeing your patient. I'll also link to... Um, AANP's website where they talk about full practice authority and what that actually means. Okay, collaboration. Let's talk about that because right now we have approximately half of the states that still require some form of collaboration slash supervision. And how that is carried out and what it actually means is going to vary in each of the states. And it is so imperative that you become familiar with the rules and regulations that are going to affect you in collaboration. I often receive questions from nurse practitioners who are struggling to first find a collaborating physician and two, after finally getting one, they don't even have a written agreement or a contract. And that is a super, super big mistake that puts you and your practice at risk. Another mistake that I see regarding collaboration slash supervision 
is having only one person available. More than one nurse practitioner has had to close his or her practice in the middle of a day because they suddenly have no collaborator. For whatever reason, the person has quit, they have become unavailable, Whatever the reason may be, if you don't have a collaborator and you're required to have one in order to operate your practice and see your patients, you may find yourself um, up a creek without a paddle, as they say. I've always recommended that you have a backup collaborator at the ready in case this should happen to you. Now let's talk about business plans. I know it's something that so many people do not want to do. In fact, a lot of people look at writing a business plan as something that maybe is not necessary or others just find it completely overwhelming. And yet it's really probably no different than anything that we've done throughout our education when we've had to create documents, write papers, reports, do projects, that sort of thing. A business plan really is your roadmap. It's the research you've put into learning about how you're going to be doing business as well as the financial and growth projections for your business. It should include where you'll be at startup and outline your path over the next 12 plus months. A big part of a business plan is your financial projections and it's absolutely one of the most important things that needs to be done when you're planning out your business. Once you've identified what it is that you want to do and how you're going to do it, and you start putting it on paper, a good chunk of this is going to be looking at the revenue that's going to be coming in, as well as all the money that is going out of your business, your startup costs, your operating expenses. People will often tell me, well, I don't know where do I find these numbers? How do I know what it's going to be? Every single one of us have done something called a community assessment back in nursing 101, maybe 102. So you want to do that kind of thing, but with a focus on your business. You want to know what's available. What is it going to cost you? Who else is doing the work that you want to do? And what does that look like? What are they charging for services? You want to start asking those questions and more as you do all of this research. Probably too often I get asked the questions, well, what does it cost to start a business? And my honest answer is, well, it depends. It depends on the type of business that you're going to be starting where you're going to be starting it, and so much more. So for example, if you're going to start a brick and mortar practice, I mean, actual clinic in a building, and say you're going to do this in San Francisco, the costs are going to be completely different than if you were doing it in a small town in Kansas. And the same is true if you want to start a mobile practice. Your cost is going to be a heck of a lot more in San Francisco or New York just getting around town than it would be in a small town in another state. That's why it's so important to do the local research. And when you begin to look at income, location can be equally as important. So if you look at Medicare reimbursement, again, say in San Francisco or New York, you'll find that it's higher than for the same service in a more rural part of your state. It's 
almost impossible for me to list all the things out that you'll want to consider when looking at the cost. And I, I can't do that on this podcast, obviously. And if you don't already have it, we do have a free download for a practice startup checklist that will go over a lot of it. It, It's not going to be totally inclusive, but it will have a lot of that information there. And you can pick that up at clinicianbusinessinstitute.com. A business plan and all of its components now are necessary if you plan on obtaining outside funding. However, if you're going to self-fund your business or bootstrap it, you'll still want to have a business plan. It is your guide to your personal business. It will help keep you on track and it'll help you with business decisions. A business plan is considered a living, breathing document and as such should be referenced and reviewed on a regular basis. If you feel the need to learn more about writing a business plan, of course, you'll find our course over at Smart Business Planning for clinicians at clinicianbusinessinstitute.com forward slash biz plan. Let's talk about marketing because this is a huge mistake that I see clinicians making. Marketing tends to be something that people wait to think about until they've already started their business. And what happens is the clinician finds themselves open, but with no patience. Nobody is coming through the door, whether that door be the internet or that door be a front door. Marketing needs to be part of your business plan. And it needs to begin as soon as possible. There should be a section in your business plan that addresses a marketing plan. Once you have established your start date, you should be ready to hit the ground and begin your marketing. One of the biggest mistakes I saw around this was actually I saw somebody rent a space, outfit their office, open their front doors, and they hadn't done any of the research. They didn't know where they were going to get their patients. They didn't even know what kind of patients they were going to have. They had no idea about their reimbursement rates, and they hadn't even started their credentialing. So I cannot stress how important this is. And since I mentioned credentialing, let's talk about that because there's a lot of misconceptions and a lot of mistakes made about this. Credentialing takes on average three months or more to happen and to have those contracts in hand so that you can begin billing. To my knowledge, no one, with the exception of Medicare, allows you to see your patients before the credentialing process is completed and that you can back bill. So you want to make sure that this is something that you start up as soon as you can. And we do have more information all over the blog and at Clinician Business Institute about credentialing if you need assistance there. Obviously, there's a lot more to starting a practice, which I will be covering in future podcast episodes. But some things that you might want to keep in mind are things such as coding, billing, documentation, clinic operations, business operations. 
And depending on the size and complexity of your practice that you're starting, you may need to consider what you're going to do about staffing and all the peripheral processes that need to take place when you have staff. And let's not consider the in-depth financial policies, procedures, and compliance that you also want to make sure is in place. There's so much more to consider when starting a practice. And as I've mentioned previously, if you want to learn more about that, I encourage you to check out all of our courses at clinicianbusinessinstitute.com, including our practice startup system, which teaches you how to start your own business and practice from A to Z. I hope you have found all of this helpful, and I look forward to seeing your questions and comments on the blog over at npbusiness.com forward slash podcasts. So that's it for this episode. I look forward to seeing you in the next episode of the NP Business Matters podcast. I'm Barbara C. Phillips, nurse practitioner and founder of Nurse Practitioner Business Owner and Clinician Business Institute. Bye-bye now.